Hi, I'm Tim Kurtz. You're listening to the Bull Street Podcast, a ministry of Bull Street Baptist Church. This podcast was designed to equip you to know Christ and tell of His amazing grace between Sundays. For more information about our church, visit bullstreet.org. Revelation 7 gives us a beautiful sneak peek of the glorified multinational church gathered around the throne of God worshiping the risen Lamb. We know that that is where we're going, and that fills us with immense hope. And yet, even as we look there, we're aware of the very real challenges we face here. Zooming into our context, not just in redemptive history, but culturally and geographically, we live in the United States, in the Deep South, in 2021. Striving to be salt and light in our neighborhood requires wisdom. This summer, we are hosting a series of conversations on how we as the church can grow in wisdom and more faithfully fulfill our calling to be the city set on a hill right here in Savannah, Georgia. We pray you'll be blessed by these highlights from our first week on the topic of racial reconciliation. Well, let's uh, get started and uh, maybe talk about uh, why we're even having this conversation. I mean, isn't the issue of racial reconciliation more of a social issue and a political issue? Why are we talking about this in the church? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Well, it's interesting when you texted me some questions about what we're going to be talking about. The first one was, um, you know, kind of how would you define racial reconciliation? And my first thought was, and I asked Andrew this to be sure I was thinking right, but I don't see racial reconciliation really being talked about in the culture. Like when I'm thinking about my how I know what's going on in culture, I think of media. So when I pull up my Fox News app or Apple News or whatever it is, uh, you know, I'm not seeing racial reconciliation. I think you see racial justice, mm-hmm. and but we're not actually talking about reconciliation. So I don't necessarily see like a culture's desire for a deeper kind of peace and unity. It's just more like ceasefire. So I think it is kind of a term that we're using specifically in the church. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have different opinions about it. And so if we're not talking about it, we may have kind of this surface unity, but there's not like a deeper unity where we can actually talk about things and agree to disagree on things. I think that leads to a deeper unity. I I was thinking along the same lines of Becca, as far as, you know, what is racial reconciliation. And as far as why we're discussing this, what came to mind first was, if we're saying racial reconciliation, reconciliation implies that something is needs to be reconciled, so that there's something is broken. So I guess to answer the question, brokenness is why we're having this conversation. Uh, sin is why we're having this conversation. Um, I think, as Becca also just said, we see a lot of conversation um, in the media, in the culture, and I think we try to avoid having some of these conversations in the church for fear of stepping on toes. Um, but I feel like we, of all people, are the most equipped to deal with sin. And what we see a lot of times as far as fighting and brokenness in the media and the culture at large, there's a whole host of things, but part of it is the identification of sin as a problem without a uh, solution. And I'm like, we are the people who know what the solution to sin is. And we are, we are the people who know um, how all the broken things become reconciled. So why wouldn't we be the people talking about it together? The reason we, we're talking about it is because it, it has uh, gospel implications. 
Ephesians 2 comes to mind initially um, as Paul is exhorting us as believers to the reality of Christ's completed work in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And in, in that work, he has uh, effected um, the, the creation of a, a, a new humanity, a new oneness, a new one um, humanity uh, made up of all peoples, right? Um, and, in, and in doing so, what is also included there is that everything that exists um, that naturally divides us, Paul says those walls have been torn down. God is not just in the business of reconciling us into himself, but he's also reconciling us to a people and to, a, to, a, to, to each other, um, which, again, the Bible classifies us as that bride of Christ that would be given to Christ in eternity to come. So um, I would say it's because it's a gospel, it has gospel implications. I want you to listen to this uh, quote from uh, Eric Mason, a pastor up in Philadelphia. He says this, and it's so helpful to think about this. I want to engage on this topic. It says, positionally, we are restored with one another, but practically, we have to deal with all the breakdowns that impede our attempts at reconciliation. Therefore, unity takes commitment on all fronts. At the core of reconciliation is the fact that Jesus, with our offense, uh, bore our offense holistically before the living God. What alienated us from God and what alienated us from one another and that which has caused hostility has been crushed through Jesus. And I like what he's saying is positionally we are reconciled, right? But practically we continue to, to struggle with reconciliation, right? We, we put up barriers. So what would be some of the barriers uh, that, are, uh, that are up right now in the church and in our culture uh, that hinder racial reconciliation like this gospel reconciliation? Well, I'll use the um, forbidden three letters of the alphabet, CRT. <laughs> um, you know, I know that's a very controversial issue, but I do think a lot of critical race theory is is really meant, you know, it divides, I think, definitely more than it unites, I think, as a theory. Uh, I know we can differ about whether there's, it can be used as a tool or throw it out altogether, but I do think at its core, it really, it really divides. And I think just in the last year, really, I think we've seen a lot more division in the culture. And I think that young people in particular are struggling. And I think that's kind of another reason why we need to be talking about it now, because people are leaving, leaving the faith because they're not seeing the church care, you know, about these issues and address these issues enough to, to talk about them, pursue them, to actually like have a living and active faith in this regard. You know, I think that's a pretty big barrier right now in our culture and something that we need to present what's a, not just a biblical idea of racial reconciliation, but justice in general, because the Bible does have a really robust theory of God's justice and how he calls us, right, to, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. But, um, you know, I think that the church needs to develop all of that, including racial reconciliation in that um, so that people that are kind of struggling through what's going on in the culture can have something to to follow, you know, and understand, and so that they can not be accepting secular worldviews of justice. Um, I th think one of the barriers that comes to mind is just not believing that this is a problem at all. The, the racial reconciliation, like, why? You know, um, there aren't slaves anymore. 
and this isn't the 60s, racism was solved. Like, you know, so why are we bringing it up? Why are we going backwards instead of moving forwards? I hear that kind of as a barrier. And then secondly, I feel like just a lack of grace towards each other when it comes to if your solution to a perceived problem is not the same as my solution, then you don't really care. Like, unless you, unless you want to solve it the way I want to solve it, you don't actually believe that this is a problem. So, uh, you know, you can get past the, is this a problem, yes or no, if we're both saying yes. If you don't agree with how I choose to solve it, then you don't really think it's a real problem, or else you try to solve it the way I do, the all-wise one. So I think those kind of a lack of grace for each other and then just not even acknowledging a problem to begin with. Uh, let me follow up on that with a, a quote from Trillia Newbell. She said, no, so often what hinders racial reconciliation is apathy to the topic of race. Apathy, by definition, is a lack of feeling, emotion, interest, and concern. It's a state of indifference or even the suppression of emotions. Mm -hmm. And so that apathy, uh, I think a, a lack of caring, and that's one of the things in the body of Christ is we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, as I heard, you know, as I hear stories from my brothers, from my sisters, uh, uh, especially Zion, the story that you told me about coming home from a concert and it was late at night and the way that, that your experience coming home I've never had that experience, and that was that affected me in a in a big way. Would you just share your experience? I'm talking about when when y'all got pulled over. Uh, it was late at night, and uh, just how it affected you. Um, well, that's unfortunately one of many. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then before I even tell that story, I will also preface it by saying um, that again, the sad reality is that I'm 43 years old. And there's not a black person that is either in my family or that I know around the world that doesn't have at least one of these stories. And so that would kind of help put some things in perspective. And my wife is out there as well. And she can affirm that even now, you know, like driving, when I see a cop, like she often, you know, jig at me a little bit because it still affects me to this day when, you know, I, I encounter um, policemen. But anyway, I was on the, on the way back um, from Charlotte probably about two in the morning after um, being invited to minister at a youth conference in Charlotte. And it was me and another brother in, in the faith who actually just went with me to drive because I knew I would have to go to work six o'clock in the morning. So he said, I'll come drive so you can get a, a nap on the way back. And so on the way back, I'm, I'm napping, I'm trying to get a, get a little bit of sleep. And I suddenly hear him say, oh man. And, and then I kind of come to and I see blue lights spinning. So he pulls over and as we pull over to the side, Two state troopers jump out. One goes to his, the driver's side, and one comes to my window. They have their guns drawn, flashlights, and they're screaming at the top of their voice, show me your effing hands. Show me your hands now. And my heart literally is jumping out of my chest. Um, so I throw my hands up, and, and I'm like, you know, sir, please calm down. This is, this is not that kind of car, you know. And um, so he says, roll the window down. I roll the window down. And he asks um, for license and registration and ID. And I'm, I'm terrified. I'm asking, OK, I'm about to reach for my wallet. And I give him my credentials. And I say, sir, law enforcement is in this car. Because at this time, I'm, 
I'm working for the Department of Juvenile Justice. And so he says, law enforcement, and he's, I mean, this is just literally how he's talking to me. Law enforcement, do you have your effing credentials? And I say, yes, sir, I just handed them to you. So he looks at my license, then he looks at my DJJ bass, and he says, where are y'all coming from? I say, sir, I'm a minister of the gospel. I say, I just left Charlotte on North Carolina from preaching and, and doing Christian rap, and I'm just on the way back to Savannah trying to get back home to my family. And so he shines the light from in my face to the back seat, and lo and behold, there's 11 by 17 a concert poster there with my big face on it. So by the providence of God, when he saw that and saw the church information there, I, obviously, I guess he kind of took a half a step back, and he, and he said, Savannah, um, y'all boys off y'all chain down there, aren't you? Every time I look at the news, one of you shooting one another, getting shot. I said, sir, I don't know nothing about that. Um, and so he gives me my license back, and well, get on back to Savannah and, 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 and slow down. And that's just one of many. And um, to this day, you know, that, 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 that I'll never forget that. And I, mean, I have several other stories, my father, uncles, friends. So, yeah. And there have been so many pastors that share the same stories. And, uh, but the first time you shared that with me, my heart just broke, my heart sunk. And I began to feel in a different way. I began to understand in a different way that was outside of my experience. That's never been my experience. Uh, and yet uh, a, a growing concern and really because, because we're friends, <laughs> because we're brothers, uh, I'm you know, learning uh, other experiences and it gives me uh, sympathy and concern and care in a way, so so, what are the some of the things that um, that some scriptures maybe that come to mind uh, in the body of Christ that how we you know, deal with uh, with some of these hot topics in the culture, but how we maybe guard each other from getting sucked, uh, guard ourselves from getting sucked into it, and 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 stay humble and be able to communicate about these things together. What are maybe some scriptures that that come to mind? I mean, the first thing I thought when, you know, you're sharing this story and you're sharing this story here, um, even your experience of hearing it, but Zion, your experience of sharing it is like that we weep when one of us, when the body is hurt and we rejoice. Um, and I think we talk about the rejoicing and the weeping in the context of, um, I don't know, celebrations, weddings, funerals, these types of things, but there is a brokenness that we should be weeping over for people that are experiencing what you're experiencing. And I think what you're talking about, even about the apathy that's present, it's a, it's a luxury to be apathetic because it's not affecting you. Um, and it begins to affect you when you are friends with someone who it has affected. But the reality is that is not the case for many people. And um, so I just think of that, like that when one member of the body is hurting, we're all hurting. Um, and yeah. I think um, I think Ms. Becca said it when we were in the back. Just being, you know, having a posture and an attitude of heart of being, you know, quick to hear and slow to speak. One of the things that has been difficult for me over the years of, of talking to um, individuals um, regarding this is that just often seems along with the apathy and indifference. Also, this this um, just posture of heart that's so quick and ready to just kind of like speak on an issue that. Mm -hmm. You know, you really don't know, 
you know, a lot about experientially and that not saying that you're not qualified because I would never say that anyone is not qualified to speak on anything just because they haven't experienced it. But I think wisdom would tell us that, you know, again, when it comes down to being a woman, like I'm not a woman, like, so, so when there's issues on the table that are being discussed as it relates to a woman, then wisdom would tell me, don't be so, like, take teaching, learn, because um, in that, I think that's one of the ways that we can best be edified and equipped and then also know how best to serve our sisters. And so I liken that as well when it comes down to the issue of race that a lot of times when I'm talking to my non-black brothers and sisters, um, sometimes it's just, it's just this quick and, and, and ready response that is almost like, you know, predetermined, predisposed, instead of just being gentle and loving and caring and just having a heart and a posture sometimes just to listen because sometimes that's, that's all we want. Like, like, it's not that we don't know the Bible. You know, it's not that we don't know the scriptures, but sometimes we just need someone to hear, like we just, just displayed, to just hear the experience and just, as my brother just says, just weep with me. You know, just empathize and just feel or try to even enter into what that possibly, you know, can feel like. And I think that can put us in a position and in, in, in on a trajectory that I think can work, uh, that would work to bring us more together um, than a part of, I, I liken it to a natural analogy. If I was, if me and William was, was, we are brothers, but if we were natural, you know, blood brothers, and I told William, man, William, every time you're not around, um, mom and dad treats me bad. They're beating me, they're not feeding me, they're not doing this, and look, man, I got the scars to prove it. Like, look at me, I'm losing weight. And then William's response to me immediately is like, are you sure? No, mom and dad, are you sh mom, mom and dad are good people. And, and I'm like, look, man, I'm not making this up. Like, I got the wounds, I'm showing you, like, this is what's happening. Eventually, no matter how much I love you, and no matter how much you say you love me, eventually, if that is the response that you're constantly giving me, it's going to eventually affect our relationship, just naturally. You know, and so um, I think, in a, by, by and large, you know, the testimony of a lot of people that I know, um, that has kind of been the sentiment that a lot of times there's not even a heart posture to really hear. And if it is, it's after I've heard, it's just on back to life as usual, because, again, it's not a real entering in or, or striving to enter into that, that space um, to try to understand with a loving heart and a loving mind. So, yeah. So would you say that, that the church's response to so many of the cultural issues that African-American brothers and sisters have been hurt or have felt that by the white brothers and sisters' response to cultural issues or the way or injustice, things like that, is... That's the way it, it hurts. It feels, you know, just like you're describing family when you're not heard or, or listened to. It's like almost like, like we're crazy, like we're making this up. But if you, you realize, you know, thank God for technology, but I often, you know, even think about it in the sense of, you know, this has been the narrative for, you know, for years. Like I'm 43 years old, but this, is, this has been the narrative ever since I can remember being a young man. The only difference between those generations and now is that we have cell phones and now we can capture it right there. And I think that, that has changed the, the, the complexity of our society. But, um, you know, this is, this is unfortunately nothing new, you know, when it comes down to the things that socially has been true about our nation with regard to um, uh, black and brown people in this country. And of course, and as it also unfortunately is true about the church.
know, a lot of times we think of racism in the past, but yet there's present racism that's happening. And, and how can we maybe um, just guard ourselves, uh, our hearts? Uh, maybe what's the, the basis going back to the beginning, going back to Genesis? What is, how do we see as Christians uh, people and race? Uh, what, what's our view? Yeah, I'll just I'll say um, that dignity starts at creation and not regeneration. Um, I think that's a big one when it comes down to uh, Christianity. That there is a preach the gospel, you know, reach the lost, you know, get their souls saved, and then it, there's a I guess a behavior subsequent to that. That then it's almost like now their dignity is restored because they're now a Christian. But the Bible would tell us different. The Bible would tell us that as the Imago Day of God, at conception, at birth, we're, we're born with dignity and honor because we are made in the image of God. And so when you think about that as it relates to our society, I would say that that, that would be a, a huge one. And I think um, functioning in a way as Christians in a Christian community that models that for society um, I think, unfortunately, we haven't done a good job of that in the past, but I think um, in doing so declares the gospel to the world, that the world may behave and think. Um, and, and, and it's funny because even the question you ask about racism, right? Most people, when they, they hear racism, you know, most people don't identify with it because when we think of racism normally, we think about clan member. We think about, I hate black people, get rid of them all. And so because that is so far removed, it's like, oh no, like, but by and large, that's never like what we're talking about, right? You just might believe what has been said about this people group is true, that is rooted in a lie, right? And as a result of that, it has caused you to think and to behave in a certain way regarding these particular individuals. That by definition is racism. When we go back to what I was just saying about affirming the dignity and the worth of every individual because they're made in the image of God, then giving them that benefit of the doubt until, again, as Martin Luther King says, judging everyone by their own character and not judging them just because of, again, externals, I think that will cause us as the people of God and also to model for the world what that looks like in a way that I think declares the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. So what would, what would be a working definition of racism? William, you want to take I, a I think that depends on who you ask. Okay. Um, and we were talking, Beck and I were talking about this at the uh, picnic actually on Wednesday night, that I feel like inherent to any of these conversations is defining the terms within the conversation you're having because you could be talking right past each other and think you're agreeing and you're not, or be disagreeing because you're using different terms. I think in the broader culture at large, I think you'll hear... Um, a thing say that makes people bristle that like, well, black people can't be racist. That I think is coming from a definition of racism that involves power structures and all these things that, that they'll say like, well, if they haven't historically been in a position of power and racism is inherently a power struggle issue and people in power oppressing people who aren't. So if you, I feel like in a discussion here, I feel like racial prejudice is maybe like a better word to use. And that's just making assumptions often negative assumptions about someone else, or not even necessarily negative, but just making assumptions about someone else that um, fit into a stereotype that you have in your mind, um, which is probably not true. 
What would you say to when, when somebody says in the conversation like this, um, well, there's, there's only one race, the human race, uh, and really trying to mitigate all of this and, and kind of wipe it away uh, to kind of remove the conversation. Uh, how would you respond to that, uh, to that idea? Taylor and I talked about this a little bit on the way here, um, but just like thinking about, and we've talked about this here so many times that there is such beauty in the diversity. The Lord has made us different. Like at this point, you know, so far from Adam and Eve and from the choke point in human history of Noah, we are all different and we have grown up differently and we have different cultures and there is beauty in that diversity. And when we talk about uh, we see in scripture, the Lord says there's going to be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He's acknowledging that there are different tongues and tribes and nations. And how are we to understand even that John is even seeing every tongue, tribe, and nation? Like, is there a visual cue to that there are different tongues, tribes, and nations? You know, I don't think we're going to get to heaven and all magically be the same color. That's not how this works. And the beauty of our differences in race is not a result of the fall. And I think that that's an important thing to know, that this is not some aberration of creation, but this is part of God's plan. And um, we'll be fully realized in glory when we're all together there. Well, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I, I'm pretty sure, like I heard Bodie Bauckham say that. I, I listened to him recently talking about one race. I know Andrew's told me about a book, John Perkins, is that his name? One Blood. And his he does kind of ascribe to a one race theory. So I think when I've heard people use that, I haven't heard people use that in a way to minimize the differences in the culture or the problems of racism. I've heard it as a way to like find common ground. You know, when I hear we're all one race, I don't automatically think, you know, they're minimizing the issues. I think we're trying to say, you know, <laughs> there are different ethnicities, right? But ultimately we're all one before the cross, we're all one in our sin, and you know the salvation offered through Jesus Christ. So, no, I think that's really good, Becca. Um, I think both, depending on the conversation and the context, I've I've heard both. Um, and going back to what you were saying, Calvin, I, I my response often to that statement is, um, I agree. You're right. There, there there is only one race. However, when we're talking about race as it relates to our reality in America, a social construct that has been constructed, then we have to talk about it further than just in that gen in generalities, right? When you consider the idea of a one Africa, right? That's a new phenomenon. We got, I mean, you know, Ethiopians don't look at Somalians as being one people or the same race simply because they have externals, right? They are a different people group. They see themselves as a pe different people group. And so I think when you study history and you look at before the 1800s, um, again, race as we know it now didn't exist. It was more like clan or tribe, right? But Darwin comes along, he reclassifies everybody based on externals, and so you would have the, the European race and the, and the Irish race, where they were two different races, again, air quotes, but now they're classified as the same race simply based on ex externals. And so, yes, there is one race, but again, as it relates to our context, there are many races. So when we're talking about racial reconciliation, let's define what reconciliation is. What is that? I was telling Taylor that I, I thought of marriage was the first thing I thought of with reconciliation because that to me is not, we have reached an impasse and we've kind of talked it out and we're still upset, but we can coexist. Reconciliation involves, I believe, um, understanding and humility 
and a new path forward. It involves action, it involves moving forward. Um, reconciliation is, to me, not a passive word. Um, it doesn't mean that, that it's the removal of an obstacle, but it is um, forging together and moving forward. It involves action and direction, I feel like. It's interesting, as I was studying this, uh, some of the words related to the word reconciliation in the Greek, and in secular Greek culture, that word is used for a, uh, a married couple that is separated uh, and then pursuing reconciliation of being back together, to be unified, bound together, so that which was broken and separate is now brought back together and unified. And so thinking about in the body of Christ, even, even that word, when we were looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were, uh, who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so the way that you know, our sin separates us from God and he reconciles us to himself through the cross of Christ. Uh, and in that, we are reconciled to each other, positionally, like Eric Mason was talking about. But practically, we pursue that reconciliation. And even what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1 and, and 2, he says, I, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I, I wrote just thinking about that. Our responsibility is not to create the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That work has already been accomplished through the cross of Christ. Our job is to maintain that which has already been wrought by the Spirit. And so we pursue that, uh, that practical reconciliation that's already happened through the cross of Christ. In the last couple of days, I've thought about a lot about John 17 and Jesus's prayer. You know, three to I think it's at least three different times he says, "My prayer is that they might be one, um, not just the disciples, but those who would believe in me through their word." Thinking about that oneness that we're striving for is what the Lord was essentially praying for and repeating over and over in His prayer before His crucifixion: is that that His body, His church, would be one, that all the world might know that You have sent me. You know, and how powerful of a word it is when we can really move towards this and build bridges and experience this reconciliation because it is a testimony to the world. And I think that's why we need to really be actively pursuing it is because we're able to do this when the world is not. Yeah, I, I heard a, a pastor say this, Brian Loritz, his father's Crawford Loritz, uh, said, while the civil rights movement changed laws, it couldn't change hearts. And that's where God, working through his people in the already not yet kingdom of God called the church, that's where we can offer some hope. It's in the church. We're, we're to be lights in the world and how we love one another and care for one another and, and we're one. Uh, that testifies to the world the glory of the gospel and the difference. Uh, the, the culture cannot do it through 
through theories, through critical theories, anything like that. They, they don't have the answer, and the church has the answer. And so it, it's imperative that we remove the, the barriers, we remove the, the walls, and we pursue the reconciliation for the glory of Christ that tells the world of, of this gospel uh, where God reconciles us to himself and to each other. things that we can do as individuals and as a church family to encourage racial reconciliation? I've been kind of thinking about this in light of my dad. Um, and he, uh, some of you might know, uh, you know, at his funeral, he had a, a black pastor who spoke at his funeral and then two Chinese pastors. After his funeral, my sister said, you know, 20 years ago, nobody was holding up Asian Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter signs, but my dad lived and ministered as though they did. It was separate from politics. It was, he didn't have a blog to write on about all that he was doing. Um, but he, he loved people. He went about his work of ministry in the church and outside of the church. And one of this, these Asian ladies um, that came up to visit him, like as he's dying in this bed, is crying. And she said, you know, Pastor Brown was the first person he didn't see it, who didn't see us as just Chinese, but he saw us as people. And I think that's, you know, just a beautiful testimony of, of reconciliation, right? Racial reconciliation. And also, um, he taught in a black Bible college for 20 years and uh, put himself in a place where he was a minority. And he just had a really a gifting to be with people that were not like him. He didn't let that be a barrier. And this particular pastor that spoke in his funeral went into the ministry, he would say, because of my father, and now pastors a primarily white church, which I think is another beautiful example of racial reconciliation. There was a, a family in our church when I was growing up, and my dad did a lot of different things for this family. Um, financially helped them, picked them up for church. They hung out at our house. And she said, you know, on his obituary page that he treated us like his own family. And because of Pastor Brown, I saw, like, I had a perfect example of Christianity. I think so many of the problems that we have is because black Christians haven't been able to look at white Christians and say, you know, for centuries that this is a perfect example of Christianity. But I just think, you know, I think on a personal level about these things and at a relational level, I'm, I'm a woman, so, right, you had me on the panel for a reason, <laughs> get a female's perspective. And so when I think about practical things like reconciliation, I think about that, the deepest reconciliation happening in relationships. And so that's just kind of some of the stories of my dad and the relationships that he built over the years. And, and I asked my mom yesterday, you know, did, did he have this idea of like racial reconciliation in his head? Because I never heard him talk about it really. And she said, no, I think he just, uh, it might've been in the back of his head, but he was just trying to love and minister faithfully where he saw needs. And so, you know, I've seen that in my own life in the past year, I picked up a, a Meals on Wheels route and uh, I've gotten to know some of, you know, white and black clients 
Um, but there's an older lady, and she, she's a believer, and we've prayed together, and she always says, you know, you might be white, but you're still my daughter in the Lord and my daughter in the faith. And um, so it's it's like a small thing, you know, but at the same time, I just think if, if we were all living in... Um, kind of outside of ourselves, if we didn't just have this individualistic, you know, my salvation, personal justification by faith, but if we were really living out a true and active faith, um, I think we can make a lot of little impacts like that to make big change happen overall. Um, So yeah, I think um, just building relationships and being faithful to see where there's needs. I mean, Savannah's like 50% black. (laughs) So uh, if you're looking for needs in the community, you're going to minister to black people in that way. So that's just kind of, kind of some thoughts of mine. That was good. I really appreciate it. That was good. Um, I would, I would say something um, regarding, regarding that is the reality of us seeking to promote um, racial reconciliation, I think starts on the individual level but I think also what what will help I think the church move forwardly is for us to start thinking about it corporately as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again in our culture we are so individualistic just as a nation and as Americans that even when we're talking about racism or we're talking about you know our responsibility to God, we often think about it in an individual sense, and we should. But I think also when we think about everything that we've said already about God's reconciling work in our lives, reconciling us into himself and then to a people as the body of Christ, then I think also there's something healthy to think about as we think about these truths in the context of a body, right? So as you're living and striving to live that or as your dad modeled that um, as an individual and something you say, which I know you didn't mean it this way, but I have to say something to something you said about he had a good, a great, he had a gifting to be in the midst of people that was not like him. I want to definitely push back on that a little bit because it's not a gift. Like I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm just not gifted in patience. Well, if you're not gifted in patience, you might need to go to Galatians chapter number five because that's one of the fruit of the spirit, right? No, because me and my, my family, like we're in a predominantly white church and I would tell you, like I told my brother Calvin, it is hard. I love y'all to pieces, but it is hard. Like, so it's not about being gifted. It's about what you believe and whether it's worth it or not for the glory of God. And that's why me and my family is here. So I don't think like, well, well, because I don't have the gift and that don't apply to me. No, it does apply to you. And I think we should take that upon ourselves to be intentional about moving toward the ethnic other, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable. This not, might not be what I'm used to. But then also thinking about the fact, as you said, that there are other people every day of their lives, they live in this tension. Mm-hmm. They live in this, this uncomfortable reality every day of their lives and don't have an opt-out. You know? So I think that's very important. I was going to say, um, I echo both of those things. And to just not repeat you and say something else then, um, I was going to say that it is good for us to remember that Bull Street Baptist Church is a cultural experience. Um, this is a, this has a very specific culture. This church has a very specific culture. And I think if it is already your culture, you may not notice it, but it is very new and obvious or foreign to many people. And um, I think that is inherently one of the things that is important for us to think about is that what we're experiencing, what we're used to is not necessarily the default and everything else is an aberration. 
I was uh, thinking about this this week too, that I feel like we're very good at, in thinking this way when we're talking about missions. You know, we're getting ready to go for a mission trip. We're talking about, let's talk about the culture. Let's make sure we talk about the language and the way people are. And remember that it's just because it's different doesn't mean it's worse, doesn't mean, you know, it, or it's better. Like, it's just, it is what it is here. And I feel like we, a lot of times on a mission trip, are so prepared and expectant to go into a different culture. But um, we have that here. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily... Um, embrace the same missional mindset when it comes to our own home turf. And we talk about the light that shines, what is it, furthest way shines brightest at home. And like, you know, we as a church have a heart for missions. We have a heart for other cultures. I think maybe sometimes we don't see that being applicable here. But there are a whole host of other cultures and things that are here. My family's Puerto Rican. I grew up going to um, an all Spanish speaking church, and it is very different from Bull Street. I, I started going to what we call the English church after um, about middle school, uh, but it was a different cultural experience. And so in many ways, when I came here, it was very similar to that experience, and that is fine, but I'm not unaware. Whenever I see someone who doesn't look like the majority of people here, I'm immediately thinking like, oh, they probably think this is weird. Oh, they might think this is weird. They don't know what that word means. We don't do these kinds of things in other places. And it's just like an awareness when you see someone else and think like, I hope they know that we love them. And I hope they know that this church cares so much about the gospel, and that means that we also care about them. But I feel like we have to go above and beyond because there is automatically, I think, um, a little bit of a, maybe I don't belong here um, for someone that doesn't look like the majority. You know, it was about 10 years ago that we were working on our uh, vision statement, and, and we were working together as a church. It took about eight months. And we worked together as a church, leaders and the church family working together, and we adopted a vision statement unanimously. And part of it says, we want to become a community of faith is how it started. And we were recognizing that we weren't there, but this is what could be and should be because it was biblical and right. And so we really laid out a big vision for uh, if we were faithful to our mission statement, equipping people to know Christ and to tell of his amazing grace, what would that look like? And it would produce a community that looked a certain way. And so we said uh, a community of faith where Christ is preeminent, his word is authoritative, and his gospel is powerfully proclaimed not only in word but also in deed. A community passionate about magnifying Christ in Savannah and among the nations committed to regularly sending out short-term and long-term missionaries and planting new churches at home and abroad. And then it says a multi-generational, multi-ethnic community of faith centered around the person of Jesus. We went further to say a community that reflects the diversity of our city, even as we grow in reflecting the diversity of heaven. So over 10 years ago, we were talking about this and how we could move forward, and uh, we were recognizing that it was, you know, in the late 70s where deacons stood on the front steps, the porch of Bull Street Baptist Church, uh, and would not allow African Americans to come into the church. And, and that was not that long ago, and many in our community still remember that. And so we're still affected by that. And we, we really acknowledged that and we repented of that. We recognized that it was wrong and we repented of that. But really this vision statement and the move forward was 
an effort to intentionally live in keeping with repentance uh, and to lead forward in this. And, and I believe uh, we're not there. We're not, and really that's part of the vision statement that just keeps going because we're not there yet. We want to become. We want to grow, uh, grow and grow. And uh, we're, we're becoming and we're growing, and we are different than we were 10 years ago. And we're, we've grown in this area, but we've got a long ways to go. Eric Mason said this. He said, at the end of the day, the issue is a spiritual growth issue. <laughs> it's, it's really an issue of sanctification. It's kind of that just, you know, kind of like he was talking about uh, our, pos- our positional uh, you know, we're reconciled positionally, and then we pursue reconciliation practically with one another. And really, that's a spiritual growth issue. It's a holiness issue. It's sanctification issue. And so I think we can humbly recognize we're, we're moving forward, but we're not there yet. And we want to keep moving forward uh, for the honor of Christ and for the advance of the gospel, uh, that the light of Christ would truly shine from uh, Bull Street Baptist Church. Can I just say something? I was reminded this week of something I heard at a, it was actually at a counseling conference that we had gone to, but his comment was that our churches should look uh, more like hospitals and less like a country club. Um, in a country club, you've got people, right, that are pretty much going to be the same color, the same socioeconomic status, same interests and hobbies, but in a hospital, right, everybody's, <laughs> all kinds of people are there, and uh, what, you know, why they're all there is because they're sick. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we should have diversity reflecting the fact that what draws us together isn't you know, common interests and the fact that we dress alike or we think alike, but that, you know, we've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we go, we have a very special guest with us in the studio today, uh, Zion Edwards. Zion, thank you for everything you shared in the panels, the wisdom and experience and just your heart that that you shared. Um, But we've got an event coming up. Yeah. Saturday, July 31st, yes. from 1 to 4. Yeah. It's a back-to-school fest. Yeah. We're giving backpacks away. There's going to be barbers there, giving haircuts, yeah. food, concert, gospel presentation. But you said something in staff meeting the other day that has really stuck with me, that you were saying that you're proud that it's not just an organization putting this on. Yeah. This isn't just like a Zion event right. that you're putting on, but this is our church. Right putting this event on. Um, I was wondering if you could just, in light of everything we've just heard on this panel, what does that say something about that? Like, what does that mean that that we would have an event like this in this neighborhood, um, that that would be coming from our church? Yeah. Uh, that's that's good, brother. I, I think, um, you know, when you think about evangelism and actually um, living out, um, as I often refer to as the Christian ethos, um, it is basically just putting feet to our faith and putting action to what we say we believe. Um, you know, we know that many times um, we have did a good job of preaching the gospel, um, exegeting the text, um, making sure that our content um, has been right as it relates to the church universal um, in many regards and then also from a local standpoint but at the same time as we look at our lives individually and also collectively as a, uh, as, a as a body um, we have you know saw where we have maybe you know came up a little short and, and could have 
modeled what Christ has called us to do in a, in a more efficient and more faithful way. And so um, with events like this, I think it gives us an opportunity to co maybe correct those things, uh, maybe those um, those failures or, or shortcomings of the past, but then to also appropriate a more faithful example of what it looks like to be missional in our own context and to live out, again, the gospel that we say we hold to and we, what we believe. And so I'm excited about this opportunity to not just, um, like you say, be involved in it, but also to lead our our congregation primarily in a way that um, just, against I think, mobilizes us in a way um, that just brings, you know, glory to God and also, you know, just lets the community know that this is who we are as a, as a local body. Amen. Yeah. What do you need from us, from the congregation? What? How can we help? Um, well, again, we're still collecting backpacks throughout the rest of the week. And then after that, of course, volunteers, um, there'll be a sign-up list out in the Welcome Center, as we often do. Um, you can email me at um, Zion or Harold at BullStreet.org if you want to get involved in some kind of way. We're definitely going to have um, many opportunities to serve on that particular day. And so um, for those that are interested, um, just get in contact with me. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. Join us Wednesdays this summer at 630 for more panels. Tonight, I'll be moderating a panel on how to share your faith. Hope to see you there.